Hey everyone, you're listening to Apartment 679, a podcast where we, your hosts, casually explore topics surrounding the meaningful college experience, postgrad productivity, pursuit of happiness, and the human condition. My name is Paul. I'm Peter. And this is Matt. And we're three recent college graduates living in Los Angeles. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, and thanks for tuning in. What's up, everyone? Welcome to our third episode. It's great to be back from San Diego. I just visited my parents for their 31st wedding anniversary, as well as my mom's birthday. So it's been great. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm personally pretty excited because Paul started bringing in some new furniture and plants for us. So this place is looking a lot better. When I moved in, I was like, I saw, I walked into the, into the apartment and if I could take a picture of the typical college guy's apartment and plaster it everywhere, I think I would take a picture of this apartment. It wasn't as bad as some that I've seen. It's utilitarian. It, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. It was minimalist in, in the worst way possible. <laughs> it just got the job done. Yeah, everyone just got the job done. Is is what it was. But yeah, I've been interested in interior decoration for a while now. So I. Since I'm moving in, I just saw this as an opportunity. But today, I actually found this uh, woman on Instagram who's like recently got into the the business of selling plants, and she sells like a, a very affordable price. And she just said, "Like pop over," and I just went over to Glendale, and she's selling them at a really really good price, including pots because she's. I mean, you go to Home Depot and stuff, pots are like seventy dollars, and the plant itself is like twenty. So she has some really nice pots that she sold for cheap. So. We brought home four new plants today, and things are looking a lot more lively out there. So uh, I'm personally pretty happy, and I, I think you guys are too, right? No, yeah. I mean, when you're excited to like wake up in the morning and walk out into your living room and be surrounded, <laughs> like by this type of like you know plants and everything, and I guess the new furniture we brought in, I think that contributes a lot to even like productivity. That's true. Yeah, I, I I can only work hard in a space I like. Yeah, I'm really excited for the new rubber tree. I think that's what it's called. Beautiful leaves. It reminds me of myself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wait, I, I'm deeply concerned if a rubber tree leaves reminded of you. Anyways, yeah, tell us about your orchid, Matt. My orchid died. <laughs> There's nothing to know about it. <laughs> so. There was this dead-looking orchid, and Matt tried to nurse it back to life, I think, for, like, the last three months or something like that. And today, he officially gave up as soon as he saw the rubber tree. Apparently, that's his new favorite plant, so hopefully he doesn't kill this one. But, you know, he'll have some assistance this time around. So, the orchid was interesting because it rebloomed and everything, so I thought that it was ready to go. <laughs> um, and then it ended up just dying on me eventually. I, it- yeah, I, 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 I think it was just because I started, so I, I used to water it in the pot, which apparently you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to like let the water drain out. And then, you know, after that, you let it stay and like drain out all the way for 15 minutes. The only thing that matters is the media just needs to be wet. And then you take it, put it back into the pot and then you put it out. Uh, in, in terms of this orchid, I looked it up. You don't need that much, you know, you, you shouldn't put in direct sunlight. It should all be in direct sunlight. Um, but... You know, I, I accidentally, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that may have happened. I think the roots rotted for sure because <laughs> because the water was just sitting there, you know. I'm sure it probably dried out because I accidentally put it in a place where I didn't know this, but the sun would actually hit it directly. So I woke up this one morning and it was just straight burning. <laughs> so okay. To be fair though, I mean, <clears throat> from what the plant ladies said, they're relatively sensitive and that's true. 
the first time I got sick around March, Matt was like, I'm going to head out. <laughs> and he just left his orchid there, right? <laughs> so I don't really blame you for, you know, it dying months later. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I, pretty th- good job I don't think our listeners know exactly what you're referring to when you say he headed out as soon as he got sick. So, Peter, tell us exactly or give me a refresher of what happened. <laughs> so definitely when this pandemic started, right, everyone was pretty on edge. So I got like a pretty high, like a actually really high fever <laughs> in the first few days of this pandemic, right? And I was, I mean, I really doubted I could have ran into anyone with, dis- with the disease at that moment, but we weren't really, it wasn't really the norm yet. We didn't really know what to expect and, you know, everyone could have had it. So as soon as I started feeling a little bit sick, I told Matt, obviously, because I, you know, I have to respect my roommates and let them know if there's anything that might be coming up, right? You just took one look at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, so... He took his last look at me and then I didn't see him for the next couple of months. <laughs> Where did you move, Matt? <laughs> I moved into a friend's place, um, but it was really funny because that day I got Peter some tacos, um, and so he didn't tell me that, you know, he was sick until after I got the tacos, and I was like, all right, man, I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and drop off the tacos um, to you, and then I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna dip, and he was like, oh, I have a fever, and I have asthma and everything, and I didn't know, you know, obviously what, what coronavirus would do to you, to a person with with asthma, obviously it's a respiratory disease, so I'm, you know, I'm a little bit more on edge, uh, and so I came in here with a bottle of Lysol and a mask, and like I think I, I had like a, <laughs> I had like a plastic bag and gloves ready to go so that I could grab all my stuff and move over to my friend's place, and so I came in, I handed Peter the, uh, I handed Peter Peter first and a thermometer to make you know to see if he actually did have a fever, and then I also uh, sprayed the, the the place with Lysol. And then I grabbed all my stuff, and then I gave him his tacos. I was like, I hope you enjoy the tacos, and that's the last thing I said to him. <laughs> I mean, when I saw that, too, I mean, I saw his empty room. Like, he still, like, had his monitor here and everything. And then I just thought, started seeing things disappearing from his room. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's, he'll be back, like, in a, like next week, right? Or next two weeks, right? And then, you know, like, three months later. <laughs> no, know? I think that was the funniest part, because I was self-isolated from you two. For like about three months too so the three of us didn't even see each other during that whole time the only time i ever saw peter was he takes a route near my house or near my apartment to get to work <laughs> so i'll be working or in class because at the time i was finishing up my last quarter at ucla he, he would call me and be like hey bro look out the window and i just open the windows and this this guy's just sitting on the street waving <laughs> that's what he did every day for three months but paul honestly needs someone to wave at him because he he was starting to the effects of being alone were starting to get to him. He, he told me he was the only person he could talk to is Chance the Rapper on his wall. Yeah, I have a poster. <laughs> it was a poster. Yeah, it got pretty bad at one point. All right, so what are we going to be talking about today, Paul? Um, so today we're going to take a little bit of a break from the heavy philosophical stuff that we talked about last week. When you weren't here, thought that was a lot of cool stuff to talk about, but we want to keep it a little bit more light, um, a little bit more organic than last time. So what we have here is a subreddit for our users that are familiar with the platform Reddit. It's 
um, pretty much just like the hive mind of the internet. It's like one big forum about everything you could think of. So there's like subreddits on any small interest, any niche, any big interest, anything that you would want, you have a subreddit. Yeah, so on. subreddit is kind of like a like a shared forum where everyone that has that type of interest can basically communicate and share ideas about it. Yeah, it's 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 just like pretty much one Twitter group type thing where like all the people with the same interests join the group and start posting. And pretty much upvotes kind of determine what content rises to the top because, you know, obviously people are going to, like content that's better right so yeah that's why you get some really interesting ideas that rise yeah. to the top and today so um, upvotes and downvotes right that's mm-hmm. what that's what categorizes what people perceive as good content versus bad content and uh also awards i guess it's a gold i don't know how exactly how it works but if you really like something you can you can award it gold and that just is like an icon on the the forum so it's it's an, it's an interesting platform but Today we'll be going through uh, the subreddit Ask Reddit, which is pretty much these users pose questions to the general public of Reddit and people on Reddit answer. And it, I think because one asset of our podcast is the human condition where we're like, why do people act the way they do? I think these questions will provide a pretty refreshing, serious and not serious answers and questions that we want to react to and to kind of talk about organically just as you know a conversation starter so uh we have on the computer screen in front of us reddit.com slash r slash ask reddit up so we are on the the subreddit and we're going to look at the top questions posed by reddit users in the past 24 hours from now and then we might expand to like the week or the month so it's just gonna come as it comes and uh we'll just we'll see how how it goes so uh matt you want to read the uh first big subreddit question that you see on the screen so the first question happens to be i think a pretty loaded question but it says what do you think happens after you die anyway so a really interesting story that i got was from one one of my friends his name is melon and he sent me this youtube link and it was about this story that was made I i forgot who made this story but the basic idea was you die and then you are reincarnated into other people, into another form, right? But not necessarily another form, but another human being. So currently on this planet is just other forms of yourself. And you have to you have to what? basically live through all the different lives of all the different people before you reach the next level of, you know, being alive. Wait, is this a theory or like people... Exp- I, I'm not too sure. Millen, Millen said it's somewhere between a religion and somewhere between... Okay. But between some sort of philosophy, but I, I think that's a very intriguing thought, right? Yeah. Like if, you know, we just don't know who is who, right? Let, let, let's say, like, you know, I'm you and you are I, you are me. Like, I think that's also, I mean... I mean does that mean we're friends with ourselves? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which I think is a very interesting thought because just imagine, like, if, let, let's say, let's say we were all each other, right? Then at that point, you know... If we come to that realization, then it's like, oh, wait, I should be homies with my with everyone, right? I should be friends with everyone. I should be kind to everyone because they're literally my own reincarnation. But but that's a very nice... I would say that is a very naive thought, right? A very, like, an utter simplification of, of this idea. But I, I, I just think that's a... It's just such a cool story to just think about and, and, you know, marinate, you know? Because I feel like... So then with that theory, is it saying that each of the people you are seeing are actually still you or that you're just inhabiting that different body in a different life. So then are these people actually still you at different time points or 
Yeah, and excuse me if was I'm there ever this. any other person in them? Other no, than you? it's just you. Like within this, it, unless I'm completely wrong, I, I maybe have to read the, uh, watch this video again. But basically, this entire world is your own. Does that make sense? Uh... So every person has their own, let's say, world, right? And there's only a you know a limited or there's X amount of worlds, and then within that world, every person within that world is yourself. So it's like Animal Crossing on steroids. Yeah, I I, I think that's what. I, well, I I don't know what Animal Crossing <laughs> is. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> I guess. That's, that's yeah. That's definitely a different way to think about reincarnation. I think on a small tangent, it's fun to think about like these theories of what the world is, right? Yeah. I I felt like sometimes like I don't know if you guys have ever seen Rick and Morty, but there's like an episode <laughs> where they're in a like a semi. I'm not even I don't even watch the show like very closely and everything, but there was an episode I enjoyed with uh, them being in like a simulation, right? And sometimes like I imagine like okay, what if that person that's like all the way down there like there's no processing power that needs to be put into that person because I'm not interacting with them. They don't really. They could just be like something that has no. There's no like depth to that, and then when I walk closer. You know, it turns like then the processing power goes into that person. <clears throat> Interesting. <thought. laughs> so everything, everything that you can't see, like, how do you know it's not being created in front of you before you get there? Now, do I subscribe to that? No. <laughs> no, I'm not, no, I don't. But I mean, I think it's a cool, interesting thought because you mean technically your reality is like what you experience, right? So I mean, mm. who's to say that everything that you can't see actually exists? If, if, mm. if you know if it's there or not, other than obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> logic <laughs> but <laughs> that's just just a fun theory i've heard or yeah. just interesting little there's idea. like a lot there's a lot of uh stories about people clinically dying so their heart stops their their brain is dead a very large myriad of stories on reddit actually i was up until like three last week or something on a tangent about what happens or these stories that happen when when people clinically die and there's a whole reddit dedicated to that or like a whole question thread so i was reading that thing and a lot of stories are very similar. Like you will die and then you will float above your body and be able to see like in the OR, the surgeons working on your dead body. Um, and then the everything expands and everything becomes white and you see people that you've loved in the past that have passed already. So a lot of these people reported seeing their mothers or fathers or grandfathers or grandmothers. Um just being there with them and guiding them through the light and and that's what a lot of these people remember and then they snap back to reality so to some people while clinically dying can be a very traumatic incident from people that were commenting on this thread said they actually felt a sense of security because they saw that their loved ones were doing well um in whatever afterlife that was right uh so it's a very, very interesting concept. And then I looked more into the scientifics of it. And a lot of people are saying, like, there is this hormone that's released as you die. And that may, and that's the cause of your life flashing before your eyes, right? Everything that you've loved and held dear, things that have happened to you that were significant, flashes back in front of your eyes. And this hormone is responsible in that very small moment you're clinically dead to be able to reincarnate images of people that are very significant to you this hormone is something that is it has the power to do that in your brain elevate your brain's dead but like the hormones being re- released right yeah so, I mean, if we look at it from a scientific perspective like everything you said makes like i mean it seems like it could have ma- it could make sense right, right that you 
you see memories that you've already had. Yeah. And I mean, the idea that you kind of float above your own body, like, I wonder if that's like an interpretation of just something they see in themselves or, you know, if they're actually seeing anything exactly. like that. So that's, and the light is like a really common theme too that people talk mm-hmm. about when they talk about being, you know, resuscitated from these situations. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the floating above the body thing is also just another indication of how much your body, in, like how much sensory input your body takes, right? Because if you're able to lucid dream and you remember very exact details about the room that you're sleeping in, right? You should, it should make sense that you, you can recreate, in your, you can recreate in your own head, right? You just don't, you're not able to actively um, get those details off, like from your memory. You're able to subconsciously recreate it, right? So, I don't know, that whole, that whole thing is interesting. But to me, I mean, because I was raised, raised religious, my dad was a pastor, I was a Christian growing up, I still am. So to me, you know, death after life has a different, it's a completely different definition in entirety, obviously, but I, I love talking about like other people's experience, other people's beliefs, because I mean, I, I think being Christian and having to face an eternity after death is one of the scariest things that I've had to encounter. Like when you think about death, it's like the end of a chapter. In, in a way, it's scary to me, at least in my experience, in a way, thinking about death is scary, but at the same time, it's almost comforting because it's like, there is an end to all of this, right? There is a time when you close the last chapter of the book. And I think rest is a thing that a lot of people seek. But to me, I'm like, even as a kid, I'm like, oh my God, I'll be living forever. And then that scares the living hell out of me. I'm like, holy crap, how am I going to survive living forever? I can barely meal prep. (laughs) <laughs> right so it, it's i don't know you know i mean like that's such a like a deep and somber sob like subject that i think you're gonna have to cut out my whole simulation thing <laughs> I, don't, I don't think i want that in the podcast anymore. Uh, i think we're gonna keep it because that was pretty funny yeah I, this was done without us actually looking at the responses of some of the redditors so we just leave the question and we kind of talked about ourselves but uh let's look at what other people said a user answers by saying, nothing, it'll be exactly like it was before you were born. And uh, he got upvoted a lot for that one. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if you were non-religious, I mean, I, that's what I would, would have thought people would be answering, right? Mm. I mean, like, if, once you're dead, if you don't believe that there's anything else after that, then what is there? Oh, that's true. That, that That's actually kind of mind-blowing because I think for me, life after death was, I mean, is to this day a given I never had to think about what if there is no life after death. Well, that actually goes on because then that means other, uh, I mean, then we know for a fact that other people are raised to think that there's literally nothing after death. Yeah. So then that just kind of uh, throws me into like a weird question of, okay, say for example, I mean, yeah, there's like, oh, damn, it's the whole conversation of a uh, purpose in life, right? Yeah. So if you know that there will be nothing after death, is there a value in you living your life and like what value do you get? I mean, yeah, sure. You can create a legacy. You can impact other people. And is that at the very end, like, will that have mattered if there is nothing after death? I mean, maybe some people just want to leave that regardless of whether they die or not. Mm. But that's just something I think about when I, you know, think about, okay, there's literally nothing to look forward to afterwards. So then everything's gone. What's the point of being here in the first place? But we can go into that another time. This uh, response by this user gives me chills. They're just talking about anesthesia. So I went under heavy anesthesia for surgery once. Remember the doctor counting backwards with me from 10. I remember saying seven and then immediately woke up in the recovery room. 
wasn't like when you wake up from a dream that you can't remember where you still recall being asleep and having some sort of awareness. This was nothing. I remember thinking a few hours later that that was what death would be absolutely nothing in every sense of the world word. That's pretty scary. I mean, I've gone under um, anesthesia because I had to get my appendix removed uh, because I was a kid and, you know, we run around after we eat. I don't, I don't know if that's how you actually get appendix <laughs> but uh, that's what my mom always told me. <laughs> and so I had to get it removed. Um, and I, this is exactly my story. I counted down from 10 and then I think after probably eight, I wake up. And, you know, I, I got bandages all over my stomach. Oh, I'm in a lot of pain. And there's a nurse force-feeding me uh, crackers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so, with the way that person was saying it, was it that they counted down and they were still awake? Because he doesn't even remember being asleep. Do you remember being asleep? So, it was like, it was like a... So it, was, it was literally a, almost a lapse in time. So, it was like 10, 9, 8, and you're And awake. then, yeah, 10, 9, 8. Wake oh. up, there's bandages on me, and they're, you know, I think the procedure's not too long, maybe two, three hours, but just, like, to think that, you know, you had a lapse in your reality that's three hours long, and it's induced by some chemical. Yeah. That's that's insane to me, but I don't really I don't really think about it too much. I, I didn't think of it to, like, to the point where I'm like, yo, is this what it feels like to die? <laughs> when, when, uh, <laughs> when you woke up, so mentally you felt that there was a lapse in time. Physically, how did you feel? Did your body literally just feel... I mean, obviously, you're going to have pain in your stomach, right? Because you got, you got surgery. But, like, you know when you wake up from a long nap and your body's, like, kind of stiff? Did you feel that way? Or was it no, I, just like you had gone I straight? I literally was not groggy. Like, or I guess I was groggy. I was sort of coming out of it. But it wasn't... Like, once I was fully awake, it didn't feel like, you know, after you take a nap or after you go to sleep for a while, you have that, you know, you got to loosen up in the morning, <laughs> go through your whole routine. Yeah. Um, there was none of that. I was fully aware right after it, you know, obviously aware of the pain that like was a, that emanating from my stomach because, you know, there are three huge incisions in, in, in the left side of my my abdomen because they did a laparoscopic appendectomy. Um, and so I, it was just insanely just different, right? Because I the only, the prior experience I had with anesthesia was I think it's called like twilight sedation. So you're not yeah, really. That's what we do at our clinic. Yep. You're not really out for that long or like you're not even out. And it's the same. And the reason why I got this was to get my wisdom teeth out. And I think this is where all those funny videos are where, you know, you see this kid and they're just saying crazy stuff like I'm trying to be in Dubai with my camels or something like that. You know? <laughs> and I think that's, that's, that's the, what that twilight is. sedation. Yeah. Yeah. But the, this one was so different, you know, I, I felt it co come up my vein and I started counting down and then I just woke up and I had, you know, my appendix gone. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. You know what that reminds me of? This is kind of off, off topic. It's not about death, but it's about comas. And mm -hmm. I did that whole thing blows my mind because there was also another Reddit thread where it was like previous survivors of comas. What happened while you were under? And the one that stood out to me the most, it was insane, was this guy was in a coma for a month. So he goes under, he's in a coma. And in his coma state dream and whatever happened in his head in coma, this guy was born in a, in a world. He grew up, had friends, had a whole life. He married, had two dogs, had two sons, had a daughter. He had kids. He had a job, a stable income. He was living a, a whole life. And, and I, I'm getting shivers right now as I, as I tell this story because 
he comes home from work one day and he sits down on his couch and he notices that the walls of his living room are pink. And he says, I've never noticed that, that the walls are pink. Like what's going on, right? And then things start to spin and suddenly he wakes up from the coma. And, and the hospital room is like a pink tint, right? And he starts crying. He starts crying his eyes out. And he, to this day, he's going to like therapy, like PTSD therapy, because he had a whole life. He had kids, a wife he loved, a job. And that got torn from him in an instant when he woke up from his coma. And he, he was saying, the love that I, I felt for my kids and for my wife, obviously a fictitious, like a, a figment of my imagination, that was stronger than any emotion that I had felt up until that point. And bro, I'm getting shivers as I speak right now because the coma stories are insane. Like I feel so bad for this guy, right? Oh, oh, that looks like a good question. So if you got offered $1 million, but it meant that every traffic light you approach will be red, would you take it? Why or why not? Dear God, no, I would not take that. I would not take that either. That's a big no for me. I don't think a million dollars is worth blood my blood boiling every time i get on the street i might hit someone right? i don't think my life is worth a million dollars yeah I'd, I'd be pretty stressed like remember, remember the other week when we were driving back from Koreatown and i need to pee really bad like i i would not let him say something because i mean okay in my defense everything he was saying was either teasing me or laughing or talking about waterfalls so he did not help me. i was literally going to pee my pants and I'm Disclaimer, not... Paul has a small bladder. <laughs> okay, I'm going to cut that part out. <laughs> Better not. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to admit that on the podcast because, yeah, I need to go pee. Like, that's why I, and I also drink a lot of water and drink a liter of coffee every day to keep me running at the clinic. He didn't help at all, obviously. I was driving. He was just in the front seat, like, joking about stuff. The worst 20 minutes of your life. Oh, F- it was 15 so minutes bad. Going, like... Like and, yeah and and i was a rower in college and i thought that was bad when you're holding on for breath and you're starting to black out and you see your dead grandpa while you're in a boat i thought that was bad no having to pee really bad holding that for 20 minutes while peter was talking to you that's the worst anyway every traffic light i approached would be red i would have literally died on that day it would have been death for me so and me as well in your car <laughs> exactly would you have an answer to that, Matt? Just a quick... Oh, yeah. It's definitely not worth a million. All right. I, will I first... mean, in, in terms of money saved, like, let's just say let's just say you spend three minutes at every light. Like, you would definitely save, like, a million dollars, you know? Yeah, I mean, think about that. That's a pretty utilitarian way, right? Just, like, value you get from your time. How much time yeah. you use. Yeah. Lights. There's this uh, answer on the form. It says... <laughs> If you're offered a million dollars, but then that every traffic light you approach would be red, would you take it? Why or why not? And this guy says, yes, because I am more annoyed by my poorness than driving. <laughs> Which, actually, if you spun this question a different way, like, if you lived in New York City, you never had to drive, just take the subway. Yeah, and I mean, it's, there's other ways. That makes sense, other ways to look at it. Yeah. And yeah, if, if you think different... about it, or, or even the freeway doesn't have stoplights. I yeah, actually, I mean, it depends where you're at, right? If you're in New York and they offered you this deal, they're like, "Yo, if you have to stop at every stoplight, but I gave you a million dollars, would you be down?" I'm like, "I'd just be too angry. I, I don't think I could do it." In New York, where you just like hop on the subway? I'm just talking about in general. Oh, in general, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peter's like, my, yeah, fat, my cortisol is too it. high. Okay, so um, so this next question says, "How would you react if the U.S. government decided that the American imperial units?" will be replaced by the metric system. 
So this is a really interesting question because yeah, you're a nerd. <laughs> I'm a nerd and everything in science is in the metric system. Everything is, you know, in thousands. And okay, let me just give you this quick example that sort of irked me this week. I know this is like really dumb, but uh, this week I actually completed like a hundred mile challenge. And so I ran a hundred miles, right? But obviously I'm not even going to go through the conversion of what a hundred miles is in kilometers, but the entirety of Nike Run Club, there's different levels that you can reach. All of them are at weird numbers, like 33.5 miles or something like that. I'm like, what is that? Or something, you know? And it's basically, I think it's like 25K or something. I, I don't know. But if they were to switch to, the, to kilometers, first of all, it'd be easier for everyone like in the world, right? Because now everyone's on the same system. Every, all the measurements are the same. But I do understand the other side of the argument, which is we're already too far in, you know? Like, <laughs> all, you know I, Every, all our signs? Yeah, all of our signs. And honestly, when I go to Canada to visit my cousins and everything, and I'm trying to drive down the road and you know, Google is back to the metric system because we're in Canada and they're like, oh yeah, 200 kilometers away. I'm like, uh, I don't know. What, is, what does 200 <laughs> kilometers mean? You know, like yeah. here, like I know how it feels to go a mile, right? Uh -huh. I know how it feels to go four, four miles, but would I necessarily know how it feels to go like two kilometers? Like it's, you know, like I would have to do like the conversion in my head first and then I would understand exactly how far that is. Right? You'd have like, to even know what the conversion yeah, is. Yeah, I would, I would have to know what the conversion is, which is annoying. It's like, oh, okay, a meter is technically around three feet and then there's three, you know, that, that's too long. That's too much, too much and to And even think about. within the imperial system, the units are still like kind of messed up, right? Because how many feet are in a mile? Like what, 5,000? 5, 5,284. 80, 80 something, yeah. 5,284. Okay. I think that's a, that's a funny question. Yeah. <laughs> So the question says, you will be given $10 million in cash if you manage to cross the Pacific Ocean, California to the Philippines, alive with a regular yacht and three months worth of food. Would you take the challenge? How would you do it? I'm pretty sure a yacht is, um, like, has the upper deck and the lower deck. It's like a nice boat, right? It could be nice. A regular, like, dingy yacht, like, um, is just literally a top deck. And then, like, a small lower deck with, like, a bed or something. The bigger ones are really nice, yeah. Like, the ones you can buy for, like, millions of dollars. That's, those are, you can just live on those for the rest of your life. But how long does it take to get from the California to the Philippines? <laughs> it's a long flight. Yeah, so it's a 15-hour flight if you go directly. Oh, my God. From L.A. to the Philippines. Um, if you have three months' worth of food, is that enough? Three months should so, be enough to cross the Pacific. I mean... To get, so, just a little backstory. I mean, it also depends if you have, like, a motor yeah. on the yacht. The thing I don't like about this question is that there's so many, like, what-ifs that affect the value of the question significantly. Like, regular yacht, is it just you by yourself? Are you able to, like, what kind of equipment do you have on the yacht with you to navigate? But we have a really cool story to tell you about one of our teachers in high school. Yeah, so our teacher, Mr. Gillette, he actually crossed from Catalina Island to Hawaii in 69 days. How far is that? Five thousand miles. <laughs> I'd have to search up how how far it is. Um, but and he was not. He was given a yacht. He was in a he was in a kayak. He kayaked from Catalina Island to Hawaii in sixty eight days, and he ran out of food at one point. He thought he was gonna die. Uh, all he had was obviously a paddle, all these dehydrated foods, and a sextant to help him navigate. That was crazy. Wait, did he did he have anyone tailing him or? He was literally just by himself. It was he just was literally him. by himself. And he like missed like like Matt's at his destination for like a few days too, so he really thought he was not gonna make it. 
And this was such, this was the, he was the first person to ever do this. I don't know if it's replicated since. It was so big, like, he was on, like, the biggest talk show at the time, uh, the Johnny Carson show. You can even find his video on YouTube. Ed Gillette really? crosses the, crosses, or kayaks all the way to Hawaii from California. That's insane. I think the only thing he had was a GPS beacon so that the people, let's say he failed, the people who he loved could find him on the boat dead. Like, that's, that's <laughs> all he had. Okay, guys, so that was our last question of the day as we've let this drag on a little bit longer than we had hoped, but we had a very productive and fun conversation, and I hope you guys had fun listening to us. As we promised last week, we will release that email address. It will be in the show notes, so please shoot us any emails, any questions, and even audio recordings that you guys may have in response to our talks here, and we might even want to include it into the episode, so please send them our way. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in, and we're all... Very glad that you could join us for our third episode and we'll see you next week.